What's up, everyone? Marshall Media Montage. Tyler here, episode five, and that was the intro music to Bewitched, a uh, essentially a year before counterpart to I Dream a Genie. Bewitched is played by Elizabeth McGovern, and I will talk about that shortly. I just figured I'd share the music with you, like I shared the music to I Dream a Genie, which, in my opinion, I still feel like has uh, better introduction music. It's a little more well known, in my opinion. I'm going to talk ab- briefly on. Once Upon a Time in America, released 1984 by Sergio Leone, who is more or less famous for his uh, Western films that he did with the man uh, who had no name, also known as Clint Eastwood, you know, years down the road, right? But uh, his Westerns, I think, are much more well-known rather than this film. And it's four hours. I started it last night. I'm maybe about a half hour to an hour into it, and I fell asleep because I had to get up for work, so... I took a little bit of notes on it, not very much. I will definitely share more information in regards to how I feel in uh, excerpts of the film once I finish it, but I'll I'll touch a little bit of base on it. So I'm going to talk today about Bewitched, Once Upon a Time in America, Jeopardy. Yes, Jeopardy. A Tribe Called Quest. Minor Victories, those are two groups. Uh, Tribe Called Quest is a hip-hop group, and Minor Victories is like a super group, kind of like post-rock. I'll talk about that later. And then uh, lastly, today, I picked up a Criterion Collection film, uh, A Nous la Liberté. Uh, that's my terrible French. Uh, I do know Spanish, but French, I definitely am still learning, uh, is a black and white French film with English subtitles, a Criterion Collection. I will get into that shortly after that. And I also touch base on a film that reminds me in regards to a premise of that made years later, that it's a solid, solid film. And then I plug a good friend of mine, one of his books at the end. So stay tuned. I will get into that momentarily. However, I would like to share a word from my sponsor. Hello, friends. I'm your Vitamita Benjamin girl. Are you tired, run down, listless? Do you poop out at parties? Are you unpopular? The answer to all your problems is in this little bottle. Yeah, no. Uh, sponsors after five episodes? No, that's definitely an excerpt from the Vitamita Vegemin clip from I Love Lucy. Solid, solid TV show. I don't really feel like I need to really go too much into I Love Lucy. Everybody probably knows about it now, whether you watched it religiously or not as a kid. However, in the background, I will play the double LP of Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life. Side one is where I'm starting, obviously. Oh yeah, Stevie Wonder is great. Anyway, okay, a little bit about Once Upon a Time in America, released in 1984, as I said before, made by Sergio Leone, more or less famous for his westerns. I'm kind of repeating myself. Apparently there's an echo in the room, right? Uh, Starring Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, James Woods, and Elizabeth McGovern uh, from Bewitched. That's pure coincidence i had no idea that i was featuring (laughs) a movie and a tv show that she was in in this episode as well as william forsyth uh there are silent black and white credits in the beginning until there's quiet singing in the background that kind of just creeps up in there a little bit into the foreground and then i had no idea it's based on the novel uh called the hoods which of course it is because most movies are typically books And if it's vice versa, you're like, what? How the hell did that happen? Especially nowadays when, you know, movies are coming out based off of video games. And I'm like, what premise do you have off of 
you know, Pong making a movie. Granted, they haven't done that, but and I'm glad, and I hope they don't, because they will probably ruin Pong. Um, the movie opens up with a murder after an interrogation sequence, followed by an opium den that Robert De Niro is in, and it's definitely a sex pit-driven region. Uh, yeah, you heard that correctly. Minutes go by where a phone rings. I, I was thinking that I had a tumor like in Grandma's Boy, <laughs> Dante. Do I have a tumor? No. Um, <laughs> it didn't, I was like, what is up with the phone? I, I didn't, I didn't get it. And then they pick it up, uh, minutes later. This segment goes on for several minutes. Uh, De Niro wakes up from the ringing and takes a hit of opium and for God knows how long, why, and then leaves. <laughs> One of the mafia guys shortly after interrupts a man, uh, oh, excuse me, no, Oh, no, he definitely... Yeah, he kills him with his pistol. It's a truly bizarre sequence shortly after all of that. It, it just... I can't believe that. Yeah, that's how I wrote it. I was like, what? Okay, so De Niro escapes the den. He must be the rat that the mafia guys were after in the previous sequence in the beginning. Obviously, I don't know. I didn't read up on this film. I'm just writing it down as I go. I'm not very far into it, as I've stated. Uh, he shoots one of the guards and escapes. Rob De Niro's character does. And again, this uh, this segment goes by, and then it's pretty cool to hear a different take on the Beatles yesterday, which was pleasant, rather than obviously hearing the Beatles themselves play it, which was really cool. And I'm only six minutes into this episode, and that's as much as I have to tell you so far of Once Upon a Time in America. So I will transition to Bewitched. It's only fitting that I talk about Elizabeth McGovern twice, apparently. I haven't seen Elizabeth McGovern's character in the film yet. Although I did see James Woods and it looked like it was uh, like a mugshot on a uh, newspaper. I don't really know too much about it, like I stated, and we will get into that later for the younger crowd. That way, you know, I don't want to have too many spoilers because I want you guys to enjoy the film on your own accord. William Forsyth was great too, and I think it was a Steven Seagal film that I watched him in. Anyway, Bewitched ran from 1964 to 1972. It has 254 episodes. So damn near 120 more, or 115 more, than uh, Dream of Genie. It's about a witch married to an ordinary man who cannot resist using her magic powers to solve the problems uh, that the family faces. Uh, it has a 7.6 out of 22,071 reviewers, which, that's, you know... I, I definitely can feel that there's probably more people who have watched this that just haven't rated it, you know, but it, it definitely deserves those ratings, if not more. And it, they are fairly, fairly similar TV shows. One's a witch, one's a genie, you know. You can't help but, you know, compare the two. As I stated, played by Elizabeth McGovern, or Montgomery, excuse me. Oh, wow, I made that mistake. Wow, I'm an idiot. Elizabeth McGovern and Elizabeth Montgomery. Wow. Two different actresses. I am a terrible uh, podcaster. Wow. (laughs) Well, shit. Continue to enjoy. Moving on. Elizabeth Montgomery as Samantha Stevens. Dick York played by... uh, Wow. Darren plays Dick... Jesus Christ. Dick York plays Darren Stevens. What is wrong with me in this episode? Holy shit. Played later by Dick Sargent. And Agnes Moorhead is her mother and Dora. 
It came out, as I stated, a year prior to I Dream of Genie. The first episode aired September 17th, 1964 and ran for eight seasons, and it ended in March 25th, 1972. Uh, a little trivia about the show. Only members of Samantha's family to call Darren by his proper name were Aunt Clara and Uncle Arthur. It was filmed in Warner Brothers Studios, Columbia Studios, Sunset Glower Studios as well. This and Jeannie were very similar to one another in regards to the wholesome family-oriented comedic antics with, you know, a pretty girl to look at and a dumbfounded, dumb-witted, you know, uh, husband character in the picture with relatives that are obviously from her side that don't necessarily like the husband figure typically uh, to begin with. And then perhaps they grow on them in certain episodes. They are very, very similar TV shows to each other. The, the disc set that I have was also made by Mill Creek, just like I Dream of Genie. It's a 22-disc set. <laughs> Elizabeth Montgomery, not Elizabeth McGovern. Wow, I still can't believe I did that. I'm not editing it either. You guys can <laughs> sift through that and enjoy it, by all means. <laughs> Call me an idiot. That's fine. It is <laughs> Elizabeth Montgomery is a wholesome, beautiful woman who will, this is how I kind of conveyed it to myself, who will give you that one shot otherwise, like kind of like how your parents want you to marry that one girl that perhaps lives down the street or you guys go to school together and she's an A-plus student and you're a B-plus student and she just, she'll get you right and she's a beautiful woman and you have that one shot and if you screwed up, that's it. Or you got Barbara Eden who is the uh, girl next door that you spied on through your window, you know, knowing that she's out of your league Although, if you actually give her the chance and you talk to her, she's just as simplistic as you are. So, take your pick. <laughs> That's kind of how I viewed it. All right. Ten minutes and 15 seconds later, let's talk Jeopardy! It aired September... Well, it's still airing currently. I actually watched an episode earlier today. Jeopardy! aired initially September 10th, 1984. I, I sense that there's a pattern with TV shows. They come out in the fall. I feel like every show that I've talked about so far, they've all, whatever, whether it was a cartoon or a TV show, they all aired in fucking September. Currently, IMDb states that it has 8,691 episodes, almost as much as One Piece, the largest running anime. I'm kidding, of course. Not largest, longest running anime. It also has an 8.3 out of 7,531 individuals, which... I don't think that that number is accurate. Same with like the episode count. I feel like there's more episodes as well as there's probably more people who have watched the show and or rated it. Uh, now, I'm sure most people know the final Jeopardy tune, of course, that takes 30 seconds. But have they actually – I'm speaking to you guys rhetorically. Have you actually you know, watched the show and played it at the same time? I definitely have. I guess I'm a nerd. Whatever. My dad and I did it ever since we were kids. It was – Fox 11 at 6, it was The Simpsons, then 6.30 was King of the Hill, and then 7 was Jeopardy, and then 7.30 was Wheel of Fortune, and then as a kid, I went to bed. Neither here nor there. Moving on. Alex Trebek, the original host, uh, led the show from 1984 until his death in 2020 at age 80. He was born in 1940, and he died of pancreatic uh, cancer. His final episode was Two Days Shy of Halloween 2020. The that episode of his last uh, appearance was broadcasted uh, New Year's of 2021. Now taken over by Ken Jennings, who is the longest running winner of the show. 
and he does a decent job. Yeah, you know, I give him props for you know picking up that torch because that was that was a hefty torch to pick up. Now he just needs to grow a mustache out like Alex Trebek had, right? <sighs> I discovered uh, actually just a little while ago that the one show that we know is technically a remake of the same show that only aired 41 episodes from 1964 to 1975. So nine years and the same name. And only 41 episodes seems pretty lousy, like it was a flopped uh, television show at the time. It currently has, uh, or excuse me, that older uh, version of the show has a rating of 7.7 out of only 661 people. That's not very much. Um, it featured Mel Brooks on uh, the first episode, which is actually pretty cool. Uh, not not the first episode, I'm sorry. An episode in 1972, so middle of the sh- uh, series. And uh, in my opinion, stick to comedy, Mel. You're much better at it than, uh, you know, I guess just modern trivia. It appears that the OST, the original soundtrack theme, ran from 1984 to 1992, which leads me to believe that there have been uh, variations of the song itself created since then, and it's its own flavor now, if you will. From the college edition, the children's edition, the celebrities, or the tournament edition, it's all good and educational, and it's, you know, sure, you might not know all the answers every time or right away, but it's informative, and in a society where our brains are manipulated and melted by social media, I think this is a healthy outlet, you know, for generations to come and who are willing to learn, and each episode of Recent Games is on YouTube, so by all means, watch it, it's free. Either the day of or before, and it's all free. So learn something, damn it. Please, please do yourself a favor and learn something. Change up the tone. I'm about halfway through record one. I am going to discuss a tribe called Quest, the album Midnight Marauders. Marauders? M-A-R-A-U-D. Marauder? I don't sound like I'm drunk when I'm talking about it. Midnight Marauder. (laughs) It's their third studio album by this quality garage sounding skate rap influenced hip hop group. That's what I labeled it as. I will get into what uh, Wikipedia labeled their uh, genre as momentarily. This album released November 9th, 1993. I was just shy of almost five years old with my Reebok high tops, baggy pants, and my diaper hanging out in a do-rag. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, (laughs) that's funny, and my skateboard, right? Uh, On Jive Records, recorded in New York City at Battery Studios, Platinum Island Studios, and Sorcerer Sound. Production was handled by Q-Tip, which I think is pretty cool. I love when they all collaborate together like that. Super cool to hear. This record is a culmination of the first two previous albums that the people's instinctive travels and the paths of rhythm, also the low-end theory. I mean, say that ten times fast. Those are two different titles. Low-end theory is pretty good. I haven't heard the other one. It's an electric, gritty, in-your-face, skate-variety kind of sound of jazz, funk, and soul with R&B samples, in addition to the prevalent, socially conscious, positive mind at the time sprinkled with humorous lyrics sporadically throughout the entire album. I know, that's a lot. It's a mouthful, but 90s hip-hop is just, you know, it it touches my heart. I, I love it. It's just something that I've always loved watching... 411 VM skate videos or Logic 8 or Flip or Birdhouse skate videos, whatever. They all just featured such quality hip-hop, and I loved it ever since then. 
the cover of the album features this is obviously my opinion of what it looks like uh features um just heads floating heads in the background being overtaken by a female drawn uh green and red kind of cartoon silhouette pretty much naked but indecipherable parts to pass the uh sensors i suppose i'm sure with her legs spread is what it looks like and her hand between her uh crotch or at least that's what i see and it's very reminiscent of the first uh or the previous album cover as well where you kind of get like a, a side pose of the woman it is 51 minutes and 52 seconds in length it features three known singles award tour electric and re, or excuse me electric relaxation and oh my god it debuted at number eight on the billboard 200 and number one on top uh hip-hop album charts for the time in later years it is regarded by uh, interviewers as their best work and one of the best hip-hop albums of all time and it shows it's credited also as the contributor to her second golden age of hip-hop in the 90s which i can totally see because there were so many good um, groups that came back in the 90s that just you can almost hear the influence now that i think about it in 2020 it was rated at 201 excuse me at number 201 on the rolling stones list of 500 greatest albums of all time that's an incredible feat for a rap group that only really had very few um rap albums and it being rap considering i feel like rolling stones is primarily rock and roll so that's that's a you know a tip if i were wearing a hat i would tip a hat to them well deserved every track is a banger so in my opinion go grab your board your baggy jeans some skate shoes and a walkman and get out there and go shred the gnar dude with your skateboard and this rap album totally worth your time all right changing it up a little bit minor victories the uh super group it's this is how i interpreted it and then this will make sense momentarily it, to me it sounded like if nine inch nails was like an actual like rock group well alt rock group rather than them being kind of like a depeche mode goth i guess if you will meets mogwai thrown in some an original soundtrack instruments meets the album leaf meets maybe a little bit of, of monsters and men sprinkled in there sure why not they are a brit rock alternative supergroup formed in 2015 and what i just stated i actually wrote and discovered that it makes sense because the guitarist Stuart braithwaite was in mogwai or is in still currently mogwai and look at that i called it i am glad that i hit the nail on the head on that one Look at me pulling my head out of my ass and knowing stuff besides Elizabeth McGovern and Elizabeth Montgomery. You're the same person. What an idiot. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Wikipedia labels their genre. At, it just, it's so far-fetched. It doesn't make any sense. Shoegazing is apparently a genre. Who the fuck just wants to stare at shoes? I don't get that. I, I mean, I, yeah, I took it literal. I don't understand that at all. Take enough drugs and watching paint is a solid, or excuse me, take enough drugs and watch paint dry is a solid genre too, right? I don't get that, Modern Rock Society. Dream Pop is also a, a label that they're called too, which counts. Post-rock or alt-rock are more fitting in my opinion, you know, than the stiffing glue genre or whatever. Yeah, that's what I'm calling it now. I made that up, obviously. But shoegazing is a real thing, apparently, which is just beyond me. It's just easy listening 
post-rock background music while working, cleaning house, doing chores, etc. Self-titled album that they released of 2016 on Fat Possum Records. Sir Duke, this song by Stevie Wonder, always reminds me of Super Mario 64 level where he faces, I believe, the bomb when he jumps through the painting of the first first stage on the uh, castle. Anyway, obviously this song came before, but just thought I'd mention that. It just threw me off and I had to say something. Okay, last couple things today before I will uh, close out. Um, (laughs) Before I have my 34th birthday tomorrow and I, well, turn 34, I went to a thrift store and stumbled upon, as I stated, I Knew La Liberté, released in 1931. It is an hour and 37 minute French film with English subtitles. It's labeled as a comedy musical. Haven't watched it yet. I intend to, and I will get to it. I just figured I'd share it with you because I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, Featuring two convicts who escape prison. And I don't know why that's considered a comedic musical. I mean, obviously, I'm judging a book by its cover here. I haven't watched the film yet. I just thought it was funny to say, like, why is that funny that two convicts escape prison? I will delve into this soon, and I will share with you guys when I have the time. Uh, be on the lookout for pretty much most Criterion Collection films now, especially if you want to keep them in your collection or if you want to flip them because I paid $3 for this and you can go on eBay and you see it for anywhere between $20 and $30. Hey, that's a tank of gas or half a tank of gas depending on what you drive, right? But I will definitely delve into that film and convey my opinion on that to you guys. In regards to two convicts who escape prison, there's an even... Better, well, I don't know if it's necessarily better. It's obviously subjective, but a film that I watched a while back and I remember it vividly because it's so good is called The Defiant Ones, released in 1958. Two convicts who also escaped, featuring uh, featuring Tony Curtis, the father of Scream Queen Jamie Lee Curtis, and Sidney Poitier. Two escaped convicts chained together. you know, white and black for the time was just so risque, especially before the civil rights movement, you know, and it's, it's just a product of its time on the silver screen. And the two must get along in order to elude capture from the police. It has a 7.6 out of 16,064 individuals, which I feel the rating itself is fine, but I feel like more people should watch this film and rate it. It is so good. I know most people don't like to get past black and white or CGI, but I'll get to that momentarily. It's a very, very good racially tension-based drama with action periodically. You know, I, I get that the younger crowds aren't really too appealed by this because they can't appreciate the black and white aspect and the fact that there's no CGI, but in my opinion, I say screw all that. They made brilliant films regardless with the tools that they had and the budget that they had despite limitations and, you know proper actors i guess if you will well no those are two great solid actors what am i what am i saying that was bs i wish i could revoke that statement yeah tony curtis and sydney portier are solid duo together anyway go watch that film the defiant ones 1958 any which way you can it's a great great movie you know what i still got a little bit of time i'm gonna put side two on why not No editing here and just free flow. (sighs) 
so, whoa, let me turn that down. Someone's jamming. All right. Well, before I go, I would like to plug my buddy's book, uh, Austin James, the author of Blood of the Scion. If you enjoy a blade with uh, Wesley Snipes, Chris Christopherson, and Brad Dorif as Frost, I'm just going to get into it. I'm getting into it here. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Russell Michelle Geller. I loved that show. I remember when uh, Netflix first became digital and I got it on my Wii. And my mom and I, we binged that show. Same with uh, Angel. We were like starstruck all over again. Yeah, it's corny, but besides the point. So if you like Blade, Buffy, or vampire films from the uh, 90s to early millennium, this is the uh, book for you to pick up and read. It's just, it's a relatively easy, quick read. It's 300 pages. The novel involves vampires, werewolves, and quality music references and violence. So if that is up your alley and you enjoy those nostalgic quirks, Highly recommended for those of you who want to read this. Blood of the Scion, made by my buddy Austin James. Known the guy for a long time, good friend of mine. So get out there and pick yourself up a copy. I touched based on a movie, some music. I made some mistakes about Elizabeth McGovern and Elizabeth Montgomery. Enjoy. <laughs> and I've definitely stumbled on some words. And I'm sober. And I'm drinking water. And I'm only 33. I'll be 34 tomorrow. But yes, as always... Thank you, everybody, for the support, Uh, friends and family. My name is Tyler. This is Marshall Media Montage, Episode 5. You can reach me at letz.surf.88 at gmail.com or shazz.boxx.88 at hotmail.com. The first one I will explain is because I like to surf. And secondly, the other one, I think I heard an Englishman years ago say something about like, nice one, Chazbox. And I ran with it. I was like, that's my email, Chazbox, whatever. So (laughs) thank you, everybody. Have a good night. Peace and love. Enjoy. Enjoy life. And thank you for listening.